This is Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Follow at TweetJHood on Twitter. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. By the prominence, consider this. Black players scored 80% of the touchdowns in the NFL last season, not to diminish the importance of blocking, tackling, special teams play, film study, play calling, or any of the other components of winning football games. But ultimately, what matters to us are touchdowns. Black people in overwhelming numbers produce the thing that we care about the most in the sport. We care about the most, uh, indeed, uh, offense uh, which is uh, very interesting to read from A.J. Adande from theundefeated.com. The piece is entitled, Four of the NFL Issues Have to Outweigh the Optics This Time Around. J.A. Adande joins me. Jonathan Hood here on ESPN 1000. J.A., thanks so much for your time. Got it, Jake Hood. Good to be on. I want to get your thoughts before we delve into your uh, piece in theundefeated.com about George Floyd as he had his home going yesterday and was laid to rest. I want to get your thoughts about where we are uh, in this country and how it, it hits you. I just, uh, my thought is, is that this feels differently than anything that we have seen as far as uh, people coming together uh, regarding George Floyd, talking about police brutality. How different is this, what we're seeing with protests versus other times? Very different. The dominant storyline in the country the last week or so has been the needs, wants, desires, hopes, concerns, fears of black people. Black people have been centralized in a way that's unprecedented in my lifetime. Maybe it was like this around the time of the passage of the Civil Rights Act in the mid-1960s. But uh, since I was born, I can't recall a moment like this where the country is, is listening to black people. People are rushing and proclaiming themselves to be allies of black people. What, what feels the most different about this is is white people rushing to the side. People in towns that might not even have a black resident are marching, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, or have a very small black population. They're marching. They're saying Black Lives Matter. Mitt Romney is saying Black Lives Matter. It's a remarkable moment. Uh, it's pushed through some long overdue moments, such as NASCAR banning Confederate flags from, from their races, which should have happened <laughs> in the 1950s. But... Um, I always say there's never a wrong time to do the right thing. And I've, I've seen a number of right things happening right now. And, and we'll, so I'm, I'm actually hopeful. Um, I, I, I recognize that I don't think you're going to see major legislative overhaul out of this, but I think you'll see some small steps taken, uh, even if they're symbolic and, and the ball has advanced down the field a little bit in these last week or two. J.A., not only are we hearing people that you wouldn't think would ever say Black Lives Matter, but also Roger Goodell said Black Lives Matter. Yeah, uh, that blew my after hair being, back. yeah, forced to basically shamed into it by black players in his league who put together that video. And I have never seen the players so empowered in the NFL. And for them to basically force the commissioner of the NFL to respond to their statements and repeat them, nearly verbatim uh, in key phrasing differences. But, you know, he, he basically said what they told him to say. And I've, I've never seen anything like that in that league in particular. Jay, how much do you believe that the owners of the NFL and Roger Goodell kind of feared that their league would turn into the NBA? And that's not necessarily a, a, 
a shot. I'm just saying that Adam Silver for the WNBA and for the NBA are a lot more open socially than any other sport that is out there. And there was, I think there was a fear from the NFL that they didn't want to have their players wearing I Can't Breathe t-shirts. But the flip side is, do you want that type of partnership and goodwill that exists between the players and Adam Silver and you know, the recognition that they are all in this together and the players feel hurt? And, and you know what? They would save themselves a lot of headaches. One reason you didn't see kneeling in the NBA in that 2016-17 season after Kaepernick started doing it is that the players said, hey, we feel like we can make our points in other ways. We can get the attention. We have the ear of the commissioner. And, uh, you know, we have, you know, they – you saw NBA players step out on on um, the start, at the stage at the ESPYs, right? I mean, they, that was kind of this joint thing with the ESPN and and the players stepping out and saying, "Okay, you know." So, so they had their moments, you know, at at the only sporting event that was going on in the middle of July, not even a sporting event, but you know, they had this the all the eyes of the sports world on them. Mm-hmm. So, because there is so much confidence, because they feel so heard, because they feel the commissioner really has their back, and he established that very early on with the, the Donald Sterling situation. Um, so it's not that they're running rampant. So you don't have quotes like, the inmates are running the asylum, right? which is what you heard at a, at a meeting with the NFL players. So it's, they shouldn't fear what the NBA has. They should envy what the NBA has. Well, Jay Adande from TheUndefeated.com with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. But you know it's about power, though, J.A. I mean, you know this. Right. Like, that's that's a whole thing. Like, you know, it, it, to see Silver and the NBA players work in concert is, is cool. Um, there's some things that's happening in the Silver administration that I don't even think uh, that uh, the late David Stern would have allowed. But it's happening with Silver. With the NFL, it's just different because it starts with Colin Kaepernick, and he's telling everyone about police brutality. And the owners as a whole, including Roger Goodell, turn a blind eye to it. And a lot of it is uh, based on uh, Donald Trump's tweets. And so now there's an about-face and so many are questioning, so the sincerity of this, is this business or do you really feel that way? And I can't, we can't measure his heart, but there is a business aspect to it, uh, feel to it for me. Well, what's amazing to me, though, is how the smart business right now is you better exceed, you better get on this side. Mm-hmm. And how many companies, how many brands were rushing to tweet out something or we're participating in that blackout Tuesday or something to say, we're on this side. Now there's no good in being on the other side. And Drew Brees got caught on the old side with the 2016 talking points. And he quickly got market corrected. And to the point that when Trump did try to tweet at him, he clapped back at him. And so that showed just how quickly it is because, um, a, I don't think you would have had any ideological separation between Drew Brees and, and Donald Trump in 2016. And now, within a span of 48 hours, there was because of how fast this has moved, how fast this is moving. And if you just look at the scale, how the weight has shifted to, to this other side. And so the, the, the thing that's different right now is that we're seeing that all Donald Trump has is a tweet, you know, it's, just, it's the wizard of Oz. And so, so now what is there to fear? What is there to fear right now from the guy who's, tweeting conspiracy theories about a 75-year-old man who was knocked down to the ground by police. Um, you know, his, his, what's backing them up? And I think they're seeing now that at one point they were, they were in fear of alienating him, 
But if they're looking at the direction things are going, do you want to be on his side? Do you want to appease him? Or do you want to appease the masses, particularly the young people? If you want to, if you want to grow your brand for the future, I mean, you, you can do very well right now, today, selling the NFL to 55- and 60-year-olds who grew up with the NFL, you know, the traditional NFL. But if you want to have some room for growth going forward, you better be paying attention to what all these people and these kids on Twitter are doing. And you better look at the, at the windsock and see which way the wind is blowing and be able to adjust and go in that direction. Jay Adande from TheUndefeated.com with Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Uh, one other thing on this, and again, the piece is entitled, For the NFL, Issues Have to Outweigh the Optics This Time Around, written by J.A. I, I said earlier, J.A., that I, uh, when it comes to Colin Kaepernick, he doesn't have to come back to the National Football League for me. I don't, I don't, think, that, I don't think that that should be his goal. I continue it's to follow him point. Yeah, well, well, yeah, him throwing a football and him being a backup or a starter on a bad team is not what this is about. I continue to follow what he's doing on a on a weekly, a monthly basis, and what he's doing from a grassroots effort means more to me than him trying to latch on to a team uh, in the NFL in the ultimate form, I think, of tokenism. Oh, George Floyd died? Well, here's a job. I mean, that's not that should not be the goal. The goal should be continuing to keep the conversation going, and I think – that's Kaepernick's arena now more so than the NFL. Exactly. And I think if you're centering the discussion on Colin Kaepernick around the NFL needs to apologize to him or, uh, you know, the NFL, some team needs to hire him. Minnesota would be ideal. If, if that's a Colin Kaepernick discussion, then, then you're getting it wrong because the Colin Kaepernick discussion should be, again, focusing on the issues that he attempted to bring to the forefront. I, I think he failed at centering it, but through no fault of his own. Um, he, he was asked the, the right questions. The media did the right job in asking the right questions. He answered them. He explicitly laid out what his agenda was, what he wanted to see happen, what uh, he needed to see in order to feel confident and comfortable in, in saluting this country. And we, we lost track of all that, and it became about the flag and the Star-Spangled Banner and the troops. And then it became about him not having a job and could he get a job and him trying out again to, to get back in the NFL instead of focusing on where it need to be. If you wonder if we had paid more attention to the type of police reform or, or the police changing, whatever he was talking about, whatever he wanted to see, maybe George Floyd would still be alive. If we had made any progress on the issues that he was talking about, but instead we were talking about all those other things I just mentioned. So that was doing Colin Kaepernick a disservice. And I think talking, yes, discussing Colin Kaepernick as an NFL quarterback and, and whether or not he's going to be throwing passes in the league this year, you're missing the point. The point is, are we addressing the, the question that he raised, which is, how are we to feel about unarmed citizens, unarmed American citizens being killed by agents of the state and those agents of the state facing no repercussions? That, that, we, if we boil the question down, that's what it got down to. And you would think we would have unanimous <laughs> agreement on that, that, no, we're not cool with seeing agents of the state killing unarmed American citizens. And yet, somehow that's a divide. I was just thinking about this evening. How is this a divisive issue? How, how are we even having a debate on sides on that issue? Are we really are we okay with, with, with representatives of the state killing our citizens who are unarmed? Is that where we are? Well, what are we debating here? And yet, 
it has been a, it has been a, a stumbling block, and it wasn't helped by the fact that everybody got sidetracked on all this flag waving stuff in 2016. So, uh, lastly, I have to ask you about a story that should be like on every network right now. As soon as the story came across about NASCAR not allowing Confederate flags uh, at their races, this is. This is a huge sports story, J.A., and hopefully this is not just something that we say, well, here's a story, let's get on to the next sports cycle. This is something that we could really dig into because this is something I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. And I know that there are some, even listening to our show right now, the heritage not hate crowd that says that, well, I fly my, I fly this flag of Confederacy because of heritage. This is part of my family and the deep-rooted Southern upbringing. But, I mean... For uh, Bubba Wallace to step out to say, I want the Confederate flag moved as the only um, only black driver in the NASCAR circuit uh, of note, That is, this is huge news. Can you talk about the gravity of this? Yeah, and first, the, the courage of Bubba Wallace. Um, I, I just keep thinking about what he's going through alone, basically, out there. And, yeah, literally driving around infields where the Confederate flag is, is, is flying. Um, remember, we saw the emotion when he finished kind of was a runner-up or top 10. You know, it wasn't even like he won the race in the Daytona 500, but he just did so well. And he broke down and cried in the press conference, right? Mm -hmm. And then just the physical breakdown after the race last weekend with all that was going on. And he said later that, yeah, it it got to me. Um, So the courage of Bubba Wallace. And then, um, first first of all, the the Confederate flag represents racist traitors. It's that simple. Who, you know, who's, who's, uh, who, who placed the, the ownership of black people over America and seceded from the Union and, and led to a war that killed 620,000 people. Um, that's what the Confederate flag represents, and there, there's no debate on that. Those are the facts. A. B, it's sad that it's 20, it took until 2020 for this to happen, and what I worry about is that is this going to be the achievement? So did George Floward die so that confederate flag could come down over nascar races or are we going to get something more tangible than that and and they realize it's like they hold on to this chip and and so people march in the streets and they want to see change and progress and so here you go there here comes the confederate flag is going away at least in in this corner um is is that going to mollify people it shouldn't and it's also a reminder of the fact that it took so long for that confederate flag to be banned from nascar it shows you how difficult racism is to eradicate because think of some easier ways to say we're not racist. Um, you know, we stand in opposition to racism. Nothing is easier than taking down a Confederate flag, taking down a Confederate war statue, changing the nickname of a team. These are the simplest steps you can take to oppose racism, and yet they are still fought so hard. So think about the hard discussions and battles still to come, changing police tactics, um, improving health care for black people, desegregating still the, the soft desegregation that still exists, you know, even if it was legislated out, there's still um, soft segregation all over the place. So think of the hard battle still to come and think about what it took just to get a simple thing like a flag taken down. Amazing. Jay, I'm glad you spent some time, especially with this big story uh, that, that took place today with NASCAR. I'm glad you spent some time. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It is a J.A. Adande uh, from the undefeated.com with us here 
on ESPN 1000. Uh, coming up, we talk some baseball. Uh, still no baseball, but the, the draft is going on, though, uh, and some picks made by the Cubs and White Sox. But when will baseball return? Is it going to return? Uh, we talk about it next on UTH. This is Under the Hood. This is me. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Ah, uh, baseball. Ugh. When is baseball returning? Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. You know what, Tyler, I want for baseball? List it out. I want I want Manfred to either love the game or get out. That's real talk. I want Manfred, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, I want him to love the game or just not be there. I want someone who's 26 to run Major League Baseball. That's what I want. Hood, you don't want anyone 26 running anything. All right. Yes, I do. You know <laughs> Are why? you sure about that? Yes, I want anarchy. I want someone to just shake it up, man. Because baseball's old. I, I tell you off the air all the time. I can't wait for your generation. As, as for me as a Gen Xer, I can't wait for your generation to take over not only Major League Baseball, but also to take over the voting for the Hall of Fame and all the other things to make the game more modern. Why are we stuck in 1979 with everything in baseball? Seriously. I mean, the, the app is cool, right? The MLB at bat app is cool, right? Yeah. The, the Major League Baseball network uh, at the end of when baseball is done, when you have that, that uh, wrap-up show, that is modern. That's cool. But, it, it, but the, the cool factor of baseball so few and far in between that I want someone 26, I want someone your age in the 20s to be able to run Major League Baseball. That's what I want. You know, I would say, okay, you don't want someone 26 running baseball. You want someone 26 running the marketing of baseball and just being in charge of how the the image and, and maybe more 26-year-olds in rules committees and stuff like that. But you don't want someone 26 running the whole show. I'll tell you that right now. Why? What, why what, what's, what is wrong with someone your age running baseball? What, what do you think? What's the bad out of it? What's the negative? Well, first of all, meetings and stuff, you'll get people oversleeping. You'll get a lot of your responsibility. <laughs> it's not going to end well if you've got a 26-year-old running baseball hood. <laughs> Wait a second. You need someone like 35 to 40 running <laughs> baseball. Listen, well, I don't want some curmudgeon, some 60-, 70-year-old running baseball either, okay? But you don't want a 26-year-old. Be careful what you wish for in this instance. <laughs> Oh, wait just a second. You're saying that the, the person that's 26, 27 running baseball, the first thing is he's going to get up at noon he's going to go, oh, where's my coffee? <laughs> my God. Like, <laughs> someone give me a cup of coffee? Like, the Keurig is on the fritz. I got to go to Starbucks. So he just he would just be innocuous. He would just be there in line, and he'd just be getting to Starbucks like everybody else. Little avocado to toast in there, too. You don't want that running baseball hood. Come on. I want avocado avocado <laughs> toast running baseball. That's what I want. I'm tired of Manfred and the nutty professor Seelig running. Ba- well, here's the thing. At least Seelig loved the game. Yeah. I don't know if Manfred loved the game. I want my guy with av- uh, well, avocado toast and a latte running baseball with his feet up on the desk. That's what I want. I don't know. I, th- I think you're, you're getting a little overambitious here. 
little over ambitious. You 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 want these baby boomers to continue to keep the sport where it was? And I don't want baby boomers to to keep this. I want again. I'm not asking for for 26. I'm asking for. 35 to 40. You're getting very ambitious with 20. You want me running baseball? Yeah. Really? I think you'd be great at running baseball. Absolutely. <laughs> Level-headed, smart, can uh, great with analytics. Uh, can, will be more, I might go on my being... Twitter bio now. Jonathan Hood called me smart at 824. Yes. PM. Yes. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, as far as inclusive, being inclusive, you grow the sport. Of course. No, it needs to get younger. Definitely. It, it definitely needs to get younger. And again, you're going to continue to lose out on people my age. And guess what? These, the, the purists, I mean, I don't think there's, I can't name a single one of my friends or even acquaintances that is a quote unquote baseball purist. It doesn't exist. And when the purists go out, that's when I think we're really going to start to see the change, which unfortunately I think is a lot further away than both you and I think. I, I guess I, I I don't know. I just think that it's it's something that I want. I just want something different in my in my baseball, and I think it's up to your generation to get that done because it's not going to be mine. Like mine is is stuck to the baby boomers too. Like it's like the Gen Xers are are good with baseball, but they've moved on to the NBA. They've moved on to the NFL. You know, right. and, and and I just think that if something's going to happen, you need somebody your age that when someone hits a home run, you just you want someone with uh, like a EDM music playing when the when the home runs hit and the lights go on and off. That's what I want. Grand Canyon University. Who's running Grand Canyon basketball right now? That needs to be the man in charge of baseball. I just need to have some just kind of dope EDM mix as soon as someone hits a home run. That's what I want. Just like that's what I want. Sign me up. Well, no, here's the problem too is. Think of the two sports, if you had to pick, and, and I'm not just talking big four sports, two sports that have quote-unquote purists behind them. What would they be in your eyes? What's well, baseball and um, see football. I don't think football, I don't think football has purists, no. Um, hockey. Uh, you know, hockey's kind of in the middle now. Think old. Sure. Think old. Boxing. No, come on. That's old. I mean, that's ancient. Are you kidding me? You got Bob Arum still around. I mean, that's that's old. The other one I was looking for is golf. And wow. those are the two that are losing the eyes of the younger generation. And, and yes. uh, losing numbers, not just the eyes, but participation, too. Uh, well, when Tiger was hot, it was good. Right. Tiger's not hot. Now... There's, there are golf clubs that are closing up all over the country. You remember exactly. when Tiger when Tiger took on Phil, those two themselves grew the sport by themselves. You have people that your age and, and a little older, they're on the circuit and doing well, but they do not draw. They don't no. draw. They still have not been able to get to the post-Tiger and Phil era out where you could say, okay, whatever they do is fine. We put them in that Jack Nicholas, like Arnie Palmer type of uh, scenario <laughs> in golf. And then like it now let's focus on Bubba Watson. Let's focus on some of the up, uh, up and coming golfers. And they just don't draw. They don't resonate. They don't, they, they don't win enough for people to say, Oh, I know who that is. Yeah. And Bubba tried too. I mean, he, he tried with his hovercraft golf carts and stuff like that, but yes. I don't know. I mean, it seems like, I mean, Brooks Kapka does, doesn't care enough, and nope. this new generation, they're, they're really scrapping for someone. 
I need you to run baseball. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Careful what you wish for. All right. (laughs) Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. All right. So we talked about the aforementioned Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball. Of course, the draft is going on right now. And uh, so let us hear from uh, Rob Manfred. What is what's the response from MLBPA on the latest offer? We're going to be uh, making a responsive proposal to the proposal that we received late last night. Um, it will be another significant move in the players' direction in terms of the salary issue that has kept us apart. And we're hopeful that it will produce reciprocal movement from the Players' Association that will see a number other than 100% on salary and some recognition that 89 games, given where we are in the calendar and the course of the pandemic, is not realistic. Rob Manfred, also on the ESPN Draft Special, was asked, um, how many games will we see? He says he doesn't want to have 48 games, but there's going to be baseball for sure. I'll be disappointed that we're unable to reach an agreement that allows us to play more games. Um, But you know what? I think at the end of the day, the most important thing, and I'm not buying into your number of 48, the most important thing is that we play Major League Baseball in 2020, and I can tell you unequivocally we are going to play Major League Baseball this year. Okay, so what does that mean, though? See, you've already messed up the season because here we are on June 10th on draft night, and there is no – there's no baseball. To say to the fan, "Hey, there's, we're gonna get, we're gonna have baseball. We'll have a season." Yeah, by the time it comes around, and when it's when it's supposed to mean something, I'm already locked in on the NBA playoffs. Uh, I'm already locked in on golf. I'm already locked in on uh, other things more so than baseball. Because whoever wins this season, it's gonna be an asterisk. It's gonna be a shortened season. And it's like who cares? You know, they, they because the owners and the players cannot come together on an agreement, and it just once again. Just like the 94 strike, the same thing where you just want two sides to come together and they can't. So the Sox take with the 11th pick, um, Garrett Crochet. I think I'm saying that right. Am I, am I uh, Tyler? I, I think, think you're right, yeah. Okay. Garrett I'll Crochet. I'll check you later. Or Crotchet, uh, the left-handed pitcher from Tennessee, 6'6 southpaw, uh, 4.76 ERA, allowed 21 home runs, 143 strikeouts. So the Sox take him here. Uh, the Sox once selected Chris Sale with a 13th pick, um, and Crochet has a similar blistering fastball, according to David Schoenfield uh, from ESPN.com. So Crochet to the Sox. And then the Cubs make their pick as well, um, and they take Ed Howard from Mount Carmel High School uh, here in Chicago. Ed Howard is a shortstop. Um, the consensus top prep shortstop in a week draft for high school shortstops. Howard uh, first made headlines as the starting shortstop on the Jackie Robinson West team that went to the championship game of the Little League World Series in 2014. So there's some name recognition there. Not only Howard being from Chicago, went to Mount Carmel, part of the Jackie Robinson West team. So that's that's great. So the Cubs have their shortstop and the Sox have their pitcher. Congratulations to both uh, here on this 2020 uh, Major League Baseball draft. Um, coming up, we'll take um, your thoughts. 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is our phone number. And we have a very special guest coming up next right here on UTH. What do you got there? This is your car. My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. 
Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here we go. Tales from the Hood, stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between. Glad that you're with me here on this Wednesday night on ESPN 1000. Coming up at 9 o'clock, we'll hear from Phil Rogers. Phil Rogers has covered Major League Baseball for a long time. We'll get his thoughts on the Cubs and White Sox draft picks and just look ahead to when we'll have baseball. Maybe Phil can tell us. He's always plugged in. We'll hear from him coming up at 9 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000. Let's uh, go back in time and hear from Dante Stallworth, uh, NFL wide receiver and activist, uh, was on with Jeff Dickerson and I. We talked about what's going on with the National Football League uh, as we look at it now in 2020. George Floyd, Roger Goodell, a lot of questions about how the NFL views um, what is going on socially in our country. And so we started off asking Stallworth, what's this past week been like for you personally? Hey, thanks for having me on, fellas. Um, it's been interesting. It's been uh, there, there a lot of emotions. Um, I live in Washington, D.C., so I've been at, I've been at the protest. Uh, they, they've been protesting every day uh, since last week. And it's it's been people have been angry. People have been upset, frustrated. And they feel disenfranchised. Uh, and it's, it's been going on for so long that this was just going to eventually bubble over at some point. And I think the conditions of being in a global pandemic with the coronavirus, I think that that kind of exacerbated things as well. And also, you know, in the same token, one thing that we haven't discussed as a society a whole lot is uh, in the last uh, 10 or 11 weeks, you know, more than 40 million Americans have have uh, filed for unemployment, and every week for for uh, for 10 straight weeks, 11 straight weeks, four million people have have been uh, filing for unemployment. And the last time that anything near that happened in the country was the Great Depression. So we haven't seen, even with the Great Depression, we have not seen one week. Where more than a million, million, more than one million Americans have lost their jobs, and we've seen that for 11 straight weeks consecutively, four million plus. And so these are these are some very volatile times. On top of that, you're dealing with not just a global pandemic, but the pandemic of police brutality, which is I, I always say when I do interviews, it's not a political issue at all. This is a human rights issue. And people all around the world, from Berlin to Tokyo, London, uh, Syria, New Zealand, Ireland, Poland, Australia, I mean, the list goes on and on. You see tens of thousands of people marching in solidarity all around the world, uh, marching for George Floyd, marching for Breonna Taylor, marching for Black Lives Matter. So this this is something that has exploded and the conditions that brought us here uh, have have also bubbled over to the top. Dante, how different is this movement against police brutality? How different is this versus other cases of police brutality? Well, I, I think uh, I think it's different because uh, of all the things that I just mentioned about about the about us dealing with the global pandemic, which is not by not by far over with yet. We're still in the first wave and there's, there's, you know, bound to be a second wave. We would hope not, but 
uh, science speaks otherwise to these pandemics, uh, to the coronavirus. So we're still dealing with the we're still dealing with the with the pandemic. Like I said, the, the economic um, disparities between the rich and the poor in this country have just exploded since the late seventies, and uh, and obviously racial racial um, racial injustice is still prevalent in this country and police brutality. So I think again, I think all these things have have culminated into the protests uh, that you've seen from uh, you know from San Francisco to New York City, and people are rebelling. People are rebelling in the streets. They're rebelling honestly against the uh, aggressive nature of the law enforcement that's been uh, deployed on the streets. And we've seen images all again all across the country of police escalating violence and we can't we we cannot take that lightly that the people who are meant to serve and pretend listen i know they have a difficult job i think everybody knows they have a difficult job but there needs to be a systemic change in the way we are policed they become too militarized and i think anybody whether whether you're uh support the police or not can agree with the fact that the police uh, in this country, have become have become way too far uh, militarized. So then, when all those weapons of war come home, and we are the recipients of of this brutality, we are the recipients of this uh, brutal violence that that was been happening. I've I've been there. I was there Monday when the president gave his speech at the Rose Garden, and uh, the park police were there on their horses, and they started violently. Uh, attacking protesters to move us out of that area, and it was something that I that I never thought I would see in this country. I mean, I wasn't around during the civil rights era. That was not a peaceful time. That was a very violent time as well, and people have been rebelling against that. And so I think that's why you've seen uh, a lot of the uh, instances of what's been happening. You know, all, in, in every every single state, there's been protests, and uh, and and now people are starting to. Uh, demand sweeping reforms, sweeping changes to the criminal justice system, sweeping changes uh, to these old systems that have not been working for the average American, that have only been working for the the very few percent at the top, at the, at the very top of of this country, and 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 that to me is something that people are bringing into this movement. And you know, history will say, history will have the last word of what this moment actually means. But as of right now, I mean, you see people. Again, all across the country, all across the world that are marching and protesting in solidarity. And we haven't seen anything like that maybe since the Iraq War. Former NFL wide receiver Dante Stallworth is our guest. I know, Dante, you missed Drew Brees by a year in New Orleans, but, you know, he was in the league for a long time when you were in the league. And, you know, when his first statement came out about kneeling during the anthem, Michael Thomas tweeted out right away, you know, he doesn't know any better. I don't know. I kind of feel like yeah. he should know a lot better. You know, I, look, the guy has been an NFL quarterback for such a long time. The overwhelming majority of his coworkers are black people. Um, was he just not paying attention a couple of years ago when this all happened? Did he not want to know what was happening? I'm just curious. I know he has since changed his tune, which I think finally he got on the right message at the end. But, you know, when you first saw what he had to say, what was your reaction? Well, I actually know Drew. I, I did overlap with him a little bit. Uh, I was traded a week or two from New Orleans before the season started, so I had the whole off season to 
to get to know Drew a little bit. And we actually both had our surgeries in uh, in Birmingham with Dr. Andrew. So uh, we both had shoulder surgeries at the end of the 2005 season. Obviously, his more horrific than mine. But uh, I, I know Drew. I like Drew. Uh, and I think mostly everyone uh, that comes into contact with him does. However, he totally missed the mark on this one. And I think when we're discussing these issues, you know, and, and, I, and, I, and I'll keep saying it, the fact that when people look at police brutality issue or uh, the kneeling, um, the kneeling and, and, and silent protest, when people look at these issues as political issues and why they were protesting, then then you can't move. It's it's harder to remove yourself from your side, your ideology, whether you agree with the protest or not. But there is a duty for all of us as American citizens to educate ourselves to understand the history and understand that these uh, these inequities towards the black community is something that has that has been uh, geared to do just that the criminal justice system and a lot of the legislation that has been passed was geared to throw black people in jail for a long time so when people say the system is broke it's not broke it's actually working the way it was intended to work but we have to reform that system or even get rid of that entire system and, and figure out a new way where we can actually live up to uh, liberty and justice for all. Until we do that, you will continue to see these protests, I'm sure. Um, you will continue to see people angry and upset, and there needs to be some accountability because the police have been Im- immunized from accountability, even in the midst of this global pandemic. Dante, uh, when you're at the job or when you played in the locker room, there's always going to be conversations, maybe some conversations you're not privy to, some that you that might involve you. Um, and I was thinking about what Vic Fangio, Denver Broncos coach, said earlier this week about how he didn't see racism in the National Football League. Uh, and, I, and Jeff and I know that that's, that's not true uh, because there's so many examples of that in the NFL. I'll ask you, though, from your experience – what did you experience a racial divide while you played in the NFL? Is there any examples of that? Uh, so I, I think uh, for the for the most part, um, in in the locker rooms, everyone gets along. Doesn't matter what your religion is, what color your skin, uh, what your political ideology is. People, we are there to play football. We are there to to do a job. We all have uh, family to take care of, and. For the most part, guys are pretty much, uh, you know, even even with the different uh, political ideologies, left and the right or whatever side of the spectrum you land on, uh, guys are there to do a job, uh, which is to win football games. And and it's it's hard enough to go, you know, in the NFL and and win football games, you know, on a weekend and week out basis. That's hard enough in in itself, you know, as opposed to, like, worrying about what, uh, worrying about, you know, like like any other divide, because we all get along so well. And it's, you know, it's, the NFL is predominantly uh, African-American, but uh, every everyone, you know, for the most part gets along. So I, I, I never saw any anything like that at all my, in my time. And I've been in the multiple uh, different locker rooms as well. And I do want to ask you, Dante, uh, do you think Roger Goodell's statement was sincere? I hope so. Um, I think a lot of people are still are still upset and uh, still don't trust the NFL because the, because of the fact that the NFL has not mentioned Colin Kaepernick's name at all um, in any of these statements. And 
you know, he was the one that kick kick started this whole thing off. So uh, I think it's a good first step. Like I said, I, 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 I'm happy to see them moving in this direction. Uh, the, you know, they were forced by the players and that's, I, you know, that's something that, that also can't be lost on us is that the players got together and wielded their power, uh, their star power. And immediately the NFL came out um, and uh, responded to the demands of the players. The players came out with demands and uh, you know, up until at least mentioning what, what uh, they wanted the NFL to mention that uh, black lives matter with a number of other demands they made. And it happened right away. So, um, that's a way that we can move together, move in unison, because, the again, the NFL is a predominantly, uh, or I should say NFL players, uh, are, is predominantly African-American. So the players essentially run the league, and yet uh, they are just now starting to exercise their power and, and what they can start, you know, pushing the NFL to do, get behind them with legislation, uh, support them in, in different ways you know, more than more ways, more concrete ways than, than words. Words are good. Words are a good first step. But next we have to move to concrete actions, a plan, strategy, all that, because, you know, that's what we do in football. So let's take that same mentality and, and push forward uh, for whatever, whatever the NFL players are looking to get out of, get out of the NFL. When you talk to young people about what is going on in our world right now with police brutality, what what is usually your message to young people because they're they're young trying to figure out what is going on. So what what's the message uh, that you send and what do you uh, what do you receive from young people? I, I've seen you know most of these protests, at least in Washington D.C., uh, from what I've gathered, have been mostly uh, younger folks, and that's usually the way it goes, right? Like you look at uh, during the Vietnam War, that that atrocious war that we essentially lied our ways into and, you know, millions of deaths. People were rebelling at home. They were upset. Uh, and, it's, and it essentially was pushed forward by, by college students, uh, even the unfortunate events at Kent State. Uh, it's usually the young people who get, who get the ball rolling, uh, and then they get their parents to get on board, their aunts and uncles, uh, their, their teachers and professors and uh, they, you know, they they have been the ones that have that have been driving these protests, and it's it's, it's really good to see. So, uh, you know, honestly, they they understand much more than I did at that age. Uh, they're much more in tune with uh, with global politics and uh, what's happening in the world today, and how how we uh, how we are fitting uh, currently living through. Uh, you know, it's been an interesting year, obviously. Uh, you know, unprecedented global pandemic and. Uh, these protests again, you know, this is something that uh, that will be written in the history books about. And these kids want to want to uh, write their own chapter and in, in, in how we move forward in this country. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Go Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. We've all been moved by the stories. Aspiring Chicago athletes who shot at greatness was abruptly altered by the pandemic. The ESPYs have always celebrated hope, service, and perseverance. Help us find an award 
for ESPN Chicago. The ESPN Chicago Honorary SP. Go to honorarysp.com and nominate the first person whose story captures this essence. The ESPN Chicago Honorary SB, presented by ESPN Chicago and our partner at Aspire Health Energy Drinks. Go to honorarysb.com today for all the details. Deadline for the entries is next Tuesday, June 16th. Again, the website is honorarysp.com to place uh, the name that really should be in the spotlight when it comes to greatness. Uh, that really should be recognized. Again, it's honorarysb.com. We'll hear from Phil Rogers, who covers baseball for Forbes.com, and the at the top of the hour, coming up at 9 o'clock. Jesse Rogers was on the show yesterday. There's something in that interview that really resonated with me, and I'll talk about it here, but it's something that you and I will be talking about, I think, a lot whenever baseball returns, when whenever the season ends, because, you know, the contract with Theo Epstein is up in 2021. So let's go back in time and hear from Jesse Rogers yesterday. Some interesting thoughts on Theo Epstein. I mean, I think other people are, are seeing the, seeing it as well, but it, it's not just that his contract's up. I, I, I know Theo, and it's not like he said this to me or anything like that, but I, I think he's, he's really disheartened by things like this that have gone on, you know, and I, I think there were things in the game that weren't great. You know, they had to do these rule changes. I'm not saying he was against them, but the game has changed, and it's slower, and it's this, and it's that. And, you know, the, the advantage he had for being the smartest guy in the room is minimal now. They changed their draft rules on him. Uh, everyone's got the same – like, it, I don't even think it's that challenging for him anymore because everyone's got the same information. And then this kind of thing happens. Um, I would be – you know, make this a headline, Jay Hood, on your show. I would be very surprised if Theo's still in baseball past his contract here. I'm talking anywhere in baseball with the slight caveat that if he was an owner, well, you know, that, that's easy enough. You just set up your suite, write checks, and then sell the franchise someday. So other than ownership, I don't think, I don't think Theo's going to be in baseball in two years. How about that? This is why I enjoy doing this show. Because after Jesse's been on with all the other shows, he's worn down by the time he comes to this show, and he'll give us a little nugget like that. I don't think he said that on anybody else's show on ESPN 1000, but he said it to me first yesterday. And I thought about that all day today. It's like, what if when it comes to Theo Epstein, right? And when to for context, Jesse's talking about thing, when he says things like this, he's talking about what's going on as far as the players versus owners, uh, as as far as when baseball will return, everything that's going on with Major League Baseball now, where he just might be just worn out from it. And the other thing is, too, is that f- from a Cubs standpoint, this season was either going to be just some kind of out-of-nowhere outstanding season for the Cubs under David Ross, or it was going to be what I thought this Cubs season was going to be, and that is a rebuild eventual rebuild where you're you're the Cubs feel like they're closer to rebuilding than trying to win a championship. And that doesn't mean that they've sold off parts. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that when you part ways with Joe Madden and there are questions about Joe Madden and the relationship with Theo Epstein, and you bring in someone who's never managed before, it feels like that Theo is going to make some changes here with the roster and try to get younger in some spots. Maybe that means no more Rizzo, no Bryant, no Schwarber. Who knows what was in the mind of Theo Epstein. But just keep in mind, keep something in mind that Jesse mentioned. Because of everything that's going on with the state of this organization, with the Cubs, 
um, where you have on the record the owner saying that, well, you know, we don't have cash in a, in a corner someplace when you know Ricketts does. Just all of that. At some point, you do get worn out from it. Sometimes you just are tired of the day-to-day. The Cubs won their World Series in 2016, and I still believe that they should they should have had another run in them. Maybe that will be the case in this abbreviated year. Who knows? But this core should have been able to be at least knock on the door twice based on how good it was. No Madden. Now you have David Ross. Does it make a difference? All those things are, are questionable. All those things are question marks. But it's, I, I find it interesting that the rebuild and the reset of this organization may come sooner than you think. There's still no new contract for Theo. He could be gone by 2021, and then what would the Cubs look like? You got your marquee network, you got your rickets, and then who's running the organization? And who's managing the organization? All these things are question marks that are up in the air for the Cubs, not only now, but in the near future for Cubs baseball. Speaking of baseball, we'll hear from Phil Rogers from Forbes next on UTH.